0: According to the United States Department of Treasury, an estimated $70 million in counterfeit bills are in circulation. Now, these bills are often manufactured by regular dudes with with a computer, a scanner, an inkjet printer, and some supplies from Staples. And, and most of us, we don't carry a lot of cash anymore, but if for some reason the notes you have in your wallet were, were made by some dude named Skeeter in his mom's basement, there's a good chance that that money is absolutely worthless. Counterfeit money is on its own worthless. A counterfeit gospel is worthless. The Apostle Paul spent much of his time evangelizing to Gentiles, to non-Jewish people. He went all over to different areas and preaching the gospel to Gentiles and what it meant for them to have a new life in Christ and to be incorporated into God's family. And he would plant churches all over the known world and he would leave those churches, but he would still disciple them through letters. And much of what we have is the New Testament are, are these letters. Colossians, which to the church in Colossae? You have Philippians and Ephesians, Romans. These are places where, where Paul is teaching people through these letters. And, and the book of Galatians is to an area of Galatia in Turkey. And, and this, this book is one of these letters. He sees Paul spent a lot of time planting churches in this area and, and he's just left and, and shortly after, upon his departure, a, a crisis arises in Galatia. There's a group of teachers putting into circulation a counterfeit gospel, a gospel that at first glance looks, looks the same as the gospel that Paul's preaching. But upon a closer inspection, it's a gospel that brings nothing but, but trouble. It's a gospel that is burdensome and it's a gospel that is dangerous. It's a gospel that is worthless. We today are surrounded by similar bogus gospels. So Paul's words here, they help us define what, what What the gospel actually is. He gives us the bar to measure all other supposed smaller G Gospels against. He helps us to to figure out what it looks like to spot a fake and and why we should avoid the trap of embracing anything that dilutes, pollutes, poisons, tweaks, or outright changes the good news we build our faith upon. So turn to the book of Galatians. Galatians. If you have your Bible uh, back there, uh, you can grab that. But turn to the book of Galatians. You're going to need it in front of you as we read through it. I encourage you to underline, to highlight. But Galatians 1, we're going to start from the very beginning. We're going to end up at the very end. That's the way you do it. We're not going to skip anything. Uh, if you're preaching through a book and your pastor starts skipping stuff, you raise your hand and go, why didn't we talk about that? Uh, and so we're going to be reading through the entire book of Galatians. So we're starting at the very beginning. Paul. Paul. Verse one, Paul, an apostle, underline that word apostle, not from men or through man, but through Jesus Christ and God, the father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me. Paul calls himself an apostle. The Greek word apostle, it just literally means messenger or, or to be sent. And so, uh, we are in a sense, smaller, uh, small A apostles. Like we are sent from God. There were in the early church, capital A apostles. These are guys who were with Jesus, who were taught by Jesus, who were the leaders of the church. And so Paul calls himself an apostle, capital A apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. Paul makes it clear that no man has sent him. His commissioning comes from Jesus Christ and God the Father. More than likely, Paul's opponents were poisoning the well. And poisoning a well is a term used in rhetoric and debate where they were trying to discredit him, his character, his claim to, to be an apostle, his authority as an apostle. And so they were trying to undermine Paul and his message by saying, well, maybe, maybe he's really not an apostle like the other guys are. So his claim, his his gospel is illegitimate. They were undermining him. They were poisoning as well. And Paul says, let me tell you about who I am. I've been sent by Jesus himself. My apostleship is not derived from man. It is God who has licensed me. I am a certified gospel preacher with a degree from Jesus University. Therefore, the gospel that I preach is the certified truth. And he adds all my brothers that are with me. There are others who are with me understand clearly this truth. We we are unified in our gospel proclamation." I'm a certified gospel preacher. And in his introduction, he says, and here's the gospel. Look at verses three through five. To the churches in Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord of Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Tim Keller notes that Every other religious figure, religious leader, central uh, religious person came to teach. They came to teach, they came to inform, they came to enlighten through their words. And, and Jesus was a great teacher. But notice when when Paul gives a, a summary of Jesus' ministry here, the gospel. He doesn't talk about Jesus' teaching. He talks about deliverance. Underline that word, to deliver. To deliver. The heart of the gospel is salvation. The heart of the good news that we read in God's word is liberation, is deliverance, is rescue. You may ask, from what? Well, we see on each side of the word deliverance are two words. One is sins. Underline that word sins or circle that word sins. On the other side is to deliver us from the present evil age. He came to deliver us and save us from sin. We've talked about this over and over again the past few weeks. The consequence of sin is death. Our relationship with a holy, holy, righteous, and just God has been severed because of sin. Jesus came to bring us life, to bring us back into relationship with the Father. This sin has also crept into every part of of our world, people, its systems, culture. There's a worldly system that that tells us how we should treat one another, how we should view ourselves, how we should look at our purposes here on Earth. This this worldly system defines success and, and tells us to do A, B, and C, to be happy. This system is not from God, it's evil. We live in an evil age of which Jesus came to rescue us out of. He came to deliver us from the penalty of sin and from the power of sin that enslaves us, our hearts, and moves us to things like selfishness, pride, anger, discontentment. That's what the world system always moves us to, to brokenness and death. And many of you have experienced that. You've done what the world has said to do. And it's left you wanting. It's left you frustrated and anxious. He came because we needed to be rescued from sin and from this present evil age. And and unless you grasp the the depth of, of your sin and your situation before Christ, the gospel won't make much sense to you. The gospel won't grasp your heart, if you don't understand the depth of your sin and its consequences, the gospel won't be this, this beautiful thing. It'll just be, oh, maybe, maybe an example for us. But it won't be what we come and, and sing about. We won't sing about the death and resurrection of Jesus, Jesus saving us because we really won't think we need to be saved, don't think we need to be saved. You don't need rescue unless you're lost or, in a, or in, a, in a helpless situation. You rescue people when they're drowning and they're headed towards death and you don't rescue them by throwing them a how to swim manual at them. You know, we don't. when people are drowning, you don't, you don't throw them teaching. You, you jump in the water and you save them. When your children are, are, are drowning, have you ever seen your kid in a pool start to go under and struggle. You don't say, hey, kick your legs. Doggy paddle when they're, when they're breathing in water because they can't save themselves. You jump in after them. And that's what Jesus did for us. Jesus jumped in the water to rescue us from sin and from this present age, and he does it through the cross. His death was sacrificial and substitutionary. The word for, he died, he came who gave himself for our sins. This means on behalf of or in place of. He took our place. He lived a life we couldn't and paid for. Our sin, And it's, it's a once and for all sacrifice that, that frees us from sin's power, from the, the presence of sin's penalty. And one day the presence, sorry. And who's getting the credit here? As we look at these few verses, who's getting the credit for our salvation? There's not much about us here, is there? It's not like and because we were good, and because we asked for it. No. Jesus gets the credit. God the Father gets the credit. And Paul says, all the glory should go to him. He is the one who has accomplished it according to the will of the Father. Therefore, he is the one who gets all the glory. So, so far, this is what's been happening. Paul said, I'm a certified preacher of the certified grade A gospel. And here's the gospel. Jesus came to save Sinners, and this deliverance comes through the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, so far, what we've seen in Paul's letter is nothing too far out of the ordinary. What you would expect next in a letter from Paul is a a section on Thanksgiving, and so Paul would usually say, "Okay, now I'm going to spend a, a big chapter." thanking God for all the good things he's doing in your life. I thank God for for the spirit that's at work, for your perseverance, for for the fruit that I see, the assurance that you have, you're pressing on your faith. And it's it's this big section of thanks that was very common in letters during the day. We see no such section in the book of Galatians. Paul wants to get to the point and he cuts to the chase. Look at verse six and seven. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there's another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Paul's like, I just I just stinking left you. I just left. Things were great. You were walking the walk. You were you were fighting the fight, you were running the race. My mind is blown. That That's so early, so easily you are now deserting God and turning to a different gospel. John Stott talks about that word turning. It's more about allegiance. You're shifting your allegiance to a different team. Think about a soldier, you know, fighting for one army and And shifting his allegiance, turning to the enemy. You know, think about a a politician. This has never happened, but a politician, you know, shifting his allegiance to another political party or organization that seems diametrically opposed to what he believed before. I mean, Paul's like, I raised you to love the Broncos, but right now you're cheering on the Raiders? Like, what are you... What are you doing? I spent so much time with you. You can hear Paul's heartbreak here. I've spent so much time with you. I, I saw the first fruits of the gospel take root in your life. I, I just left you and already you're abandoning what is good and true and powerful for what is worthless in counterfeit. We have yet to really even talk about this, this gospel that was taking root in, in Galatia. But we already have some sense of its of its nature. Look at verse 6 again. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ grace. Ours is a gospel of grace. That's what we preach here at Central Bible Church is a gospel of grace. The root word here is charis. It's, it's sometimes translated as, as gift, but, but charis is, has this idea of favor or blessing that is freely extended by God. It's, it's that salvation is not earned or given because of the good things we do. We simply put our faith in what has already been done through Christ. And God showers us with grace. He gives us what we don't deserve. He gives us eternal life, his presence, a future hope. And he doesn't give us what we do deserve, wrath, judgment, death. We preach a a gospel Of grace, unmerited favor that comes through faith. These false teachers were distorting this reality and they were making it about what we do in order to be approved by God, which we'll talk about really specifically what they were wanting them to do, but theirs was a gospel of works. You need to do this in order to be approved by God. There are many ways to spot a counterfeit dollar. Luke, you're a police officer. Do you know how to spot a counterfeit dollar? How do you, how do you, can, you, can you give me one way to look at a counterfeit dollar? Touch it. Touch it. The, the feel of it. Just how, a, how money feels. I mean, you've been holding on to real money probably for most of your life. You probably could figure it out and, and feel it and say, one of the reasons is on, on a real dollar, the money, uh, the, the wording is raised a little bit. On a counterfeit, it's, it's completely flat. I mean, you look at it, as, are the words blurred? Is it missing watermarks? Um, you can even look at the serial numbers if you know what those mean. One way to spot a counterfeit gospel is to ask some questions. Does this gospel in any way focus on human effort, merit, or human achievement? In any way, does it say you must do A, B, and C to become a true child of God. If so, it's a counterfeit gospel. And these teachers, they may have been even saying, yeah, you need to believe in Jesus Christ, but you also have to give God something. You got to perform this ritual. You have to dress this way. You have to jump through this hoop, accomplish this task, and perform this activity before God, before being approved by God. Now, as we're we'll talk about later when we preach the Book of James, certain good works flow from a saving faith, but they are not the basis for being saved. The gospel of grace is what saves you. A counterfeit gospel cannot save you. Look at what Paul says about a counterfeit gospel in these verses. Look at 6 and 7 again. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you. You are deserting the God who called you to life when you are turning to a counterfeit gospel. To embrace it is to desert God Himself, to hold to a revised gospel is to put our hope in something that cannot save us. There is no other gospel than the certified gospel of grace. And to, to revise it, to take away or add to it, is to rob it of its saving, reconciling power. And Paul adds this, this small g gospel, it creates confusion. It says they're causing trouble among you here in verse 7 are those who are bringing trouble because they're distorting this gospel. Doug talked about last week how we build our fellowship, our unity upon the gospel. Now, we are all so different. Guys, we're so different. Some of you are, are, uh, you know, we can keep with the sports analogy. Some of you are, are dead set on loving them Broncos, and you hate the Raiders. And anything like you—you you have different upbringings. You have—we we even have different political views and different views on if you should wear a mask or not, uh, vaccinations. And guys, we can start a lot of fights in this church by bringing up the right topic. But there's one thing we all have in common: is we've all put our faith in the gospel of grace. It's the gospel that unites us. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's not one of us in this room who can look at the other and say, how dare you act like that? Because we've all done the same stuff. The ground is level at the cross. Therefore, Jesus has saved, saved us in the same way through his death and resurrection. We have the same spirit living in us. We have the same hope of eternal life and, and Christ alone. You start to dis- distort that gospel, you're going to destroy the foundation that unifies us. And there's a lot that can bring about disunity, but the gospel is truly, in my mind, the only thing that can bring true unity. Unity. Because we build our life on the things that matter. We, we shouldn't mess with that foundation. Furthermore, I think the gospel brings trouble into, uh, a rapper there, into our, into our own hearts. You want to stress? You want to be an anxious person, frustrated in life? Hold to a gospel of works. Think that your effort is what will save you in the end. think that you can earn God's approval. Trust me, it will lead to exhaustion. One pastor, I was reading this week, he talked about when we embrace a gospel plus, you know, it's Jesus plus this. It's, it's, it's believing in Jesus, but we also have to. Before God says, you're my child, we, we step onto a performance treadmill. Now, I like running on a treadmill. I run on a treadmill three to four times a week. I can kind of turn off my brain. A lot of you are giving me a look like, how dare you? Like you like it, like you hate the treadmill. Probably because, you know, you you, you run for three miles, you push yourself, but you end up 30 minutes later in the same place. You haven't moved. But that's what it's like when we, we embrace a counterfeit gospel of, of works. You're going to be... On a treadmill, you're going to kill yourself. You're going to push yourself. You're going to always be trying to prove your worth to God. God, now do you love me? Now are you accepted by me? And and you're just going to do more and more and more because you never feel at peace that you're doing enough. And at the end of the day, you're going to end where you began. And that was exhausted. It brings about trouble. With this counterfeit gospel, we can't know God. Salvation will elude us and discord will surround us and, and infiltrate our hearts. Some of y'all need to get off the, uh, the performance treadmill. Guys, I fall into that. I know I'm saved by grace, but there are times where I forget that. And I start living like what I'm doing is going to lead to whether or not God loves me or doesn't. Guys, it's exhausting. A counterfeit gospel is worthless. A counterfeit gospel is worthless. It's why Paul warns us here at the end. Look at 8 and 9. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. If somebody brings you a counterfeit second shelf, B grade, Powerless gospel. I don't care who they are, what certificate is on their wall, how big their following is, how many views they get on Facebook. I don't care if an angel from heaven comes to you and preaches a gospel that is different than what was originally given to you. Let him be cursed. Let them be condemned. Let them be judged by God to be found lacking. Look at verse 9. As we have said before, so I say it again. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Guys, if you see something twice in Scripture, it is being emphasized. He said, I'm going to say it again. I preach to you the grade A gospel. If any teaching deviates from this, let the person teaching that be cursed and the language here seems harsh right like man Paul's going after these these people and and these teachers well there are times where Paul is his number one concern is 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 not our our feelings there are times when Paul's words and Jesus' words were harsh and you may say well this This sounds unloving. I mean, Paul shouldn't Paul be a bit more inclusive here? I mean, not if we really understand what's at stake. I mean, if a person's drowning and they're headed towards death, is it unloving to say that that life jacket has holes in it? It's loving to say, no, no, this life jacket is the one that will save you. It would be unloving to not address this situation. It would be unloving to not deal with these false teachers who invite wrath upon themselves and give assurance to people who are heading towards final judgment. There's only one gospel that saves. And it's it's, it's the gospel of grace, guys the the stakes, the stakes are high when we talk about the gospel. Paul is so concerned about the purity of the gospel and this church that he loves because people's, their their souls hang in the balance. Their eternal destinies hang in the balance. The souls of those preaching these gospels, if if they don't repent, they're headed, they're headed towards spiritual death. And those hearing these gospels, our unity is at stake. Our freedom is at stake. Our peace is at stake. Furthermore, God's glory is at stake. When we, when we fall back into religious systems that magnify man's efforts, our work our achievements. We demagnify the work of Jesus. We're essentially saying, thank you for dying on the cross for me, but that wasn't enough. It wasn't enough to save a person like me. So I need to make up for what your death is, is lacking. Do you see what happens? We de-glorify God. We de-glorify the work of Jesus Christ and we, we glorify ourselves. It's about me. It's about what I do. It's about my effort. We, 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 don't, we don't sing songs at this church praising ourselves because it is God who has accomplished this work. We magnify the work of Jesus when we rest in the completed, final, comprehensive work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. When we stop trying to earn God's favor, we magnify the work of Jesus when we preach the gospel of grace and mercy through faith, not by human merit. And we magnify the work of Jesus when we say he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Let's pray.